Welcome back to The Remote Life. My name is Han Talbots, also known as Han Meets World, and today we'll be chatting with Mita Karaman. A self-described native New Yorker with Caribbean roots, Mita is a digital nomad and CEO of Eventually, a travel club for digital nomads and remote workers. In this episode, we talk about Eventually, the benefit of work and traveling as a group, and how destinations can benefit from more structured lifestyle tourism. So grab a coffee, a tea, or something stronger, and let's get started. Mesa, welcome to the Remote Life Podcast. How are you today? Thank you for having me. I am splendid at this moment, really splendid. I am sitting in a and b in Tarmina, Sicily, and feeling very grateful to be here. It's a beautiful morning here, and you know, you're one of my favorite travel nomad leaders, so I'm very excited to have this conversation with you today. Oh, my heart just did a little, like, kind of that squish, like, feeling. You're like, oh, it's so sweet. I could cry. Well, Sicily sounds incredible. Um, And I'm excited to keep watching your content on that. So, obviously, we're going to have to keep an eye on that. To dive straight in, though, tell us about you and your remote life journey so far. Sure. So, I guess for all of my professional life, for most of my professional life. So, okay, so I'm currently the CEO and founder of Adventurely. We are a travel club for digital nomads and remote workers. Prior to that, I was an attorney for 12 years full-time. While I was an attorney in New York City, I had my own law practice, and it was a solo law practice. We didn't have a physical office. We had a virtual office, and I worked remotely. So from 2011, I have been a remote worker living in New York, working mostly from co-working spaces in New York and such. And when it got to around the year 2017, I was ready to leave New York and go on a full-on adventure. There were a number of different things that were going in my life, primarily the passing of my parents, that just sort of were the catalyst for me to want to try living somewhere else. So I decided that I was going to try this digital nomad lifestyle out. I actually had a legal client who was a nomad. Uh, she was a wow. she was a public speaker and a writer. And, you know, this woman was kick ass. Like this is, this is not a woman who, you know, messes around with her work. She always took her work seriously. And because I was a lawyer, I mean, of course I got to see that this woman actually was making substantial money, but then she was a digital nomad in Asia and, you know, from the United States. And then she was nomading through Asia. And I became fascinated with this. So I, I first saw this when we were working together around 2013. That was my first exposure to the nomad life. And it wasn't four, four years later till I actually acted on it and started off. And it was intended for me in 2017 to do a three-month stint and now it's been six years. Let's see. Am I counting right? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 20. Yeah, six years. It's been six years. And um, and on top of that, not only have I committed to this lifestyle for the past six years, but I also um, evolved and switched my career from being a full-time lawyer to working on a nomad company called Eventually. That's really, really awesome. Before we dive into eventually, I just, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts because I think what you mentioned about it took you a you didn't decide to just do that overnight, right? Become a digital nomad overnight. It took you a little while. Can I just ask what your thoughts were like before, you know, I suppose also what, what was maybe holding you back? And then sort of what, I mean, obviously you did the stint, but then like what, what changed that thought process from, oh, I can't, I don't dare to, I did it. 
Well, I think because I took the path of running my own law office, essentially being my own boss, it took a number of years for me to get the hang of being my own boss, making my own money and having a consistent customer flow and nailing all those things because you know, law school doesn't teach you how to practice law. They teach you how to think like a lawyer. So I had to learn how to do work as a lawyer. And then I also had to learn how to run a business. And to be quite honest with you, those first couple years of running my own business as a solo law uh, practice in New York, those first two years, <laughs> it was a lot of feast and famine sort of thing where it's like, oh, I got a good, big client. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I don't have clients for like a month. What's going on? Because it takes a while for you to also get referrals and for people to know what you're doing. The, w- the way this whole thing started, I, I was intending to go have a nice cushy job at a law firm. But, you know, this was around the time there was a recession in 2008, 2009. And 2009 is when I got barred. And most of the law firms that I wanted to go and work for, they had hiring freezes. So I had to actually eat a very big slice of humble pie after I got newly barred attorney and moved back home with my family. And there were no jobs to be had. And I was kind of, you know, just really my feelings. And I had friends who just started asking me if they could do legal, if I could do legal work for them. Mostly friends um, who worked in art and entertainment because it was always a passion of mine, music, art, entertainment, all that industry. And slowly I started taking on clients. So I got barred 2009, started taking on my own clients in 2011. First saw digital nomading and had a client of mine in 2013. So in 2013, I was in year two of running my business and things still were not in a space where I felt very secure as a business owner. It took me about five years for me to really get the hang of what I was doing, if I'm being completely honest, because you're doing marketing, you're doing admin, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're doing every, every single thing. And it, it took me a really good five years. And it, it just so happened that that five-year mark also collided with the time when I was adjusting to life without my parents anymore. And it just mm-hmm. seemed like, the perfect opportunity for me to start something new or try something new out of the ordinary. And I was ready to go. I think we've said something though that's so relatable because I was similar, right? I technically, I could have probably sorted myself out so I didn't need to even go into an office once I graduated. Like it, I kind of started getting to know like YouTubers and things like that that were traveling and all the rest of it and making money off their videos. Like before I even graduated university, and yet, I think because also, especially when you're like a lot younger, you've just graduated, you obviously want to, and you've always been told like, year, more years in the industry equals more experience, people know what they're talking about, which of course is true to an extent, right? Especially in such a new kind of industry as it were. So then I found for myself a lot, even just in doing social media as a job, I, of course, was starting to write all these rules for myself that hadn't been written before. And I think that's what, for me, I know, put also put me off for years wanting to become a digital nomad because, of course, you've kind of got this, this sort of weird juxtaposition of, like, traditional society telling you, no, you must do this linear path, be in an office and whatnot, versus, like, but now there are all these opportunities and new possibilities of doing things like having your own business as well and mm-hmm. being able to take control of, like, your your money 
like in a whole other way that has just not been as readily available as it has now. And I know, because I know for me going freelance, even four years ago, it was scary at first to be like, right, I've got to do my own tax returns. I've got to do like, I've got to find my own work. I've got to like network. I've got to just rethink how I do work in a whole other way. And I thought I was already pretty confident and in my own kind of work day. So I do completely resonate. I think that's so relatable. And I think it's something that a lot of people come up against when they think, I want to become a digital nomad. I want to start my own business. It's that it's okay that you're kind of worried because yeah, it's a whole other mindset to then go into this, yeah, into a whole new different way of living and working. So yeah, I think that's, that's very relatable note. Yeah. Cause I mean, the whole thing was, was like, I couldn't think about, I, I didn't even travel during those first five years. Like I wasn't, I mean, I might've taken some domestic trips, but I wasn't doing, no, I take it back. I did one trip to the Caribbean one, but because I was just, I, yeah, I know. Right. It's like, I, I sound so petty, but it was just, it took such a long time for my income to stabilize before I could really think about doing something a little bit alternative, but you know, once my income stabilized as a business owner, then it was like, okay, well, I got this now. I love that. So talking about incomes, business, tell us about eventually and the story. Sure. So as I said, it was intended for me to do a three month stint as a digital nomad and it's been six years, but when I reached my one year mark, that's when I really realized, okay, this is not just a passing fancy. You actually are doing this. And I did, I guess you could call it a life assessment. And I decided, and this, this took me, I was really battling over this for a while because I, at the time at my one year assessment, I was, I was giving a lot of weight to what people would think or what society would think if I kept traveling. And, um, I think what I ultimately decided was, you know, and especially having that juxtaposition of my parents who passed was you only have one life to live. Like, you know, when, when it's my time is up here on this earth, who gives a rat's ass what somebody else thinks? Am I going to be happy that I did the things that I want to do in life instead of living this so-called traditional thing. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep going. And then I thought a lot about my career and I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to learn the practice of law. It really gives you a different, it's like putting on glasses in business. You can see things in such a different way. You interpret things in a different way. Like I said, law school, at least in the United States, they don't teach you how to be a lawyer. They teach you how to think like one. And it is saved my business so much money, so much drama, but it's not what I want to do forever. And it was like, okay, well, what are you really passionate about? And the way that I see it, because, you know, like I, you know, I keep going back. I started my business around 2011 and that's the same time that co-working really started to explode, explode with, you know, companies like WeWork. And I just felt that as millennial or zennial, whatever you want to call me, that more people were going to opt out of that traditional lifestyle and be freelancers or start their own business. And I, it just seemed obvious, glaringly obvious to me that the natural progression after that would be to have location independence with that as well as one of the biggest perks of all this work that you do. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to commit to growing a business around that location independence, digital nomadism, And I basically started to create the things that I wanted to work 
for myself as a nomad. And originally back then, so my one year anniversary was in the fall of 2018. And I was building a community app for nomads called Adventurely. That was sort of the first iteration of Adventurely was it to be a community nomad app. And I was very, very grateful to get an investor. That investment came through at the top of 2019. And I did a business accelerator in LA and that was fantastic. And the plan was for, you know, so we started the accelerator in the summer of 2019 and we did a big, um, I actually organized a nomad conference in Playa del Carmen, Mexico for a month in October of 2019. We had 300 people come to that. That was awesome. And, you know, I was just wow. laying down the groundwork for what 2020 is going to look like. And then, <laughs> you know, what COVID happened. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, it hasn't even been a year that I've gotten this investment and I've made all these changes to work in the travel industry around location independence and nomadism. And you're literally telling me that the world is shutting down. It just, I don't know. I was having some little bit of cognitive dissonance. Like this isn't for real. This is for real. It's not, no, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, between 2020 and 20, 2023 present day, uh, had to be very patient because there were so many companies in general that were shuttering and especially travel ones. And um, I decided to hold on to what I love and believe in and we've evolved. So we have put the community app on the back burner and we're focusing now on helping nomads or remote workers who want to, or just people who want to try this nomad lifestyle out for a month with what we're calling a welcome meetup. So a welcome meetup is a month-long experience blending work, adventure, and play that eventually organizes for small groups of remote workers, primarily going to cities in Mexico and in Colombia. So it also comes with a little bit of travel concierge assistance. So prior to booking, you're going to get a guidebook to your destination. You're going to get two one-on-ones to help you sort out your housing because housing is not included. And then once you get to your destination for the month, we are basically your community organizers. So every week there's group dining, there's group co-working, group happy hour, and there's always a weekend excursion. And we also offer a optional workshop on responsible nomadism during the month. So yeah, so that's and that's primarily what we're focused on right now at Adventurely. I love that. And I love that you also talk about mindful nomadism. I think that's such an important topic to also talk about as well. Thank you. Yeah. So dare I say that it's it's sort of similar to how like workations work. Is that correct? Kind of. There's one there's one catch. So there's a lot of companies that do similar to what we're doing and they do great work. You know, one that comes up often is remote year. Here's how we're different and why our price point is so affordable. So a welcome meetup is only 225 USD. And people are like, well, how are you able to make that work? Well, first, housing is not included. You book your own housing. The second thing is, is that you're not getting an in-person community organizer. So the community organization is through group video calls, group chat, and things as that. So you'll sign in and, you know, every week you'll have check-ins with your community leader. There's a Slack group, a WhatsApp group, and an itinerary. We just do all the coordination for you. So for people who maybe want to invest their nomad budget into maybe a more plush or more cozy housing, 
and, you know, be able to allocate their their budget to places they want to go in between. I think it's 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 a good choice for them because when you buy an all-inclusive nomad package, while you do get convenience, you may not necessarily get to do the individual things you want to do and you may not necessarily get the kind of housing that you want to get as well, if that makes sense. It really does. And I just, I love that you're like, yeah, get the more plush accommodation. I was thinking, like, going back to what we were saying before we started recording about how, you know what, we're, some of us just want a bougie, like just a comfortable <laughs> apartment. Right? Like, and that's okay. We all have our different needs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen some of these nomad things where it's like, oh, you're paying, you know, $3,500, $4,000 for a month. And then you're doing a shared single bed room what it's like what are you talking and it's like you can use that budget and have like a nice apartment for a month and um i personally really believe that comfort is something that lends into productivity as a nomad so if you have that homey comfortable sort of stabilized feeling with your accommodation that'll make it a much more smoother experience for you to manage your work and then manage you know fun and play on on your free time it's so true it definitely comes down to what do you need to create the best results possible in your work at the end of the day so it will be different for everybody but I think yeah it it completely depends on your style so is it fair to say that like your that eventually is a bit more for the individual worker or is it for teams as well Uh, More for the individual worker, it would be amazing if we could do teams, but I think that it's okay to not, not be everything, (laughs) you know, I think it's okay to have specialization. Mm. I think that there are some companies out there that do team retreats and that's what they do and that's what they're known for and they do it well. I don't know, like right now, we feel very comfortable and very confident in what we're doing. And, you know, potentially down the line, we might do team retreats, but I'm very comfortable right now with where we're at. And I'm also comfortable, you know, referring clients to those folks who are doing a great job with the team retreats. I think that's an important distinguishing factor as well, is the fact that like, just because you have a concept doesn't mean that you have to be in in competition with everybody, right? It, yeah, there's room for everybody, I feel, in their different styles. And, you know, there's, what, 7 billion people on the planet? <laughs> You've got enough people that you could probably accommodate. Yeah, it's sort of that thing when you're going to a restaurant menu and, you know, it's nice to flip through the menu, but you don't want to spend a half hour flipping through a menu. There's some menus where it's like they have five things you can order and you know you want just that one thing anyway. So, mm. yeah. And you know it's done well. <laughs> yeah. And I would also say in terms of the customer we're dealing with, slightly older nomad I would, i'd say most of our nomads tend to be in their 30s most tend to be above 35 and the one thing that i don't want to have to, to our customers and we stress is we don't want them to feel any fomo we want them to feel that they can approach yeah. this paced and that everybody is like-minded everybody has deadlines and work that they need to do but they also need to have fun you know they don't want they don't need to be isolated and just making sure that everybody is on that wavelength during the experience. Yeah, that's really awesome. So how would you say like being in these sort of environments is beneficial for the individual? I think it adds a boost of creativity to step outside of your comfort zone. And uh, for some people, 
it can be a challenge. For me, it inspires me to double down even harder when it's time for me to work. And it also inspires me to do my work faster so I can have time to explore. Sort of this like carrot and the stick thing. It's like, okay, I just got to Sicily. I have 10 things on my to-do list this week. And the faster and the quicker and more efficient I get, get them done is the faster I can get out and enjoy Sicily. And who wouldn't want to go out and enjoy Sicily? So that's sort of the way that I've used nomadism as a productivity hack for me. And I think that a lot of people can also as well if they understand that. Yeah, I love that. Preach. Like, say it louder for the people in the back. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. And then for destinations, because of course, like, obviously you and I know we've been doing um, the Long Stay Dubrovnik program um, for this last year. And well, you know what I mean? So, and of course, I'm seeing a lot more destinations wanting to also get to know this type of visitor, wanting to work with this with long-stay visitors, because again, they understand that it's beneficial for economy, for community, and what have you. So what would you say is the benefit to destinations to have these kind of long-stay visitors coming in? Obviously, maybe let's focus on Mexico and Colombia, perhaps, as that's your those your two destinations. I think there's there's very clear financial benefits because if you have somebody that's coming for a week to invest into, you know, the restaurants and the transportation and tourism and accommodations versus somebody who's staying for a month, that's a lot more money that's being brought in to the economy. I think a missed opportunity for a lot of destinations is I think there's ample opportunities for Skillshare. I think there's a lot of nomads who are traveling who want to become more involved in the community. And maybe they're not sure how is the best way to go about doing it. So I think that there are a lot of destinations that aren't making a clear path to understand how can I participate in some kind of a Skillshare. Because most nomads who are doing this, they are highly skilled workers, you know, to be able to do this lifestyle. You're coming with different talents and different education and knowledge that could be, you know, imparted into the youth or things like that. So definitely a financial aspect. And and to an extent, even without the direct pipeline for Skillshare, you do see that just with the commingling of the nomads and with the locals that... Um, Just interesting developments sometimes happen up. Now, all that to say, one of the things that I am extremely passionate about, and we touched on this briefly, is responsible nomadism. Because I do think that that, I hope that destinations that are looking to attract remote workers, that they prioritize that. Because I feel like nomadism inevitably, once it gets so popular in a destination and and it sort of like hits this climax then there also comes with it this animosity sometimes from some locals who mm. may feel resentful for our presence or feel, and I'm, I'm sorry, you might hear some noise in the background. It's, I'm staying in a B&B. You're good, so don't worry. That. They might feel some resentment to see this other community that's living alongside them and sort of on the periphery where they start to feel like they're the outsiders in their own, in their own home, in their own community. Mm. And I've seen that in certain parts of the world. I know that there are a lot of destinations who think that, oh, we'll never reach that 
that level. We'll never get that many nomads. But I think I think that's a misguided way of thinking because, you know, right now I feel like in a lot of places in Mexico, not all, and in a lot of places in Portugal, not all, there is a pushback. And, you know, with that pushback, it might inspire some people to look at other destinations or it might inspire new nomads. I hear a lot of new nomads that I speak to who haven't done it and they're asking me for advice. They're saying, oh, well, Mexico and Portugal were top of my list, but it seems if I'm reading in the news that there's a pushback, where else can I go? So I'm getting that as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I see the economic impact. It's great. It's wonderful. There's no reason why I you know, a local destination shouldn't go for it, but I think it also needs to be managed effectively with understanding the nuances around how to manage that once the nomad population starts to really grow and how that could affect the locals. I honestly couldn't agree more. For destinations who are going, right, okay, we want it, we don't want to end up, say, like, sorry to call out here, but like the next, say, Lisbon, the next um, Changu, or like the next um, Playa del Carmen, right? Mm-hmm. which are all beautiful destinations with so much to offer, but have become perhaps... Uh, there's a definitely a, pro- a problem with over-tourism in these destinations. Yes. And I wouldn't say that's also down to just digital nomads either, personally. I think it's a there's an Instagram factor playing in here, TikTok factor playing in here. But what would you then suggest to destinations who are going, well, how do we then build this... How do we build up a sustainable economy in a sustainable way, if that makes sense. Okay. So my thoughts on that is I've seen a lot of destinations, they create some kind of a landing page for their remote work visa, nomad visa, or just information on that. And and usually it'll have information on, well, these are the best things to do for fun. These are points of interest. And this is visa interest. And I think that that same landing page could also include information on how to approach their nomad journey responsibly and give back to that particular community. So I think those landing pages that we see oftentimes, that that's a good point to also have the destination create their own framework around that, Um, whether that's sharing charities that nomads can participate in or opportunities for Skillshare or just general societal, cultural things that they think that nomads should be aware of to create a harmonious environment between them and the locals. Awesome stuff. Well, Mesa, it's been amazing to chat. I have one last question. So fill in the blank. Home is where? Home is where your heart is, honestly. So if your heart is on a plane, then that's home. If your heart is in Dubrovnik, that's home. Um, so it's it's wherever wherever your heart is. I mean, for now, my heart beats across a lot of different destinations. So um, I'm following that pathway to my heart. Absolutely love that. And agree that there's definitely a part of my heart that's still in Dubrovnik. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mita, it has been amazing to chat. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Awesome being here. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Remote Life and thank you, Mita, for taking the time to speak with us. You can find links to Adventurely and Mita's profiles below. Thank you so much again for listening and we can't wait to remote work with you again soon.